Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Carl's Roller Coaster Podcast. Hi, Claire. How are you doing? Welcome to the roller coaster. Hiya. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Thank you so much for joining here us today. Um, I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. I have uh, briefly met you at Amplify at Abbey Road Studios a few weeks back, and uh, I was very impressed by your knowledge and your <laughs> understanding about this crazy business, um, which is obviously music business, but uh, mainly, you know, publishing and and what involves the whole, um, you know, the whole publishing sector and what uh, PRS and on on your particular case, what you guys have been doing with outreach. So uh, thank you so much for joining here today. Oh, you're saying more than welcome. Yeah, it's quite a music business is a big old world to navigate. So, <laughs> indeed, yeah, happy to be here. Amazing. Claire, if you don't mind me asking, I'd like to start from, well, the very beginning. So if you could just tell us basically where were you born and, and, and how was your upbringing? And yeah, just, just walk us through a little bit of, you know, early days of Claire Rose, please. <laughs> 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 it's not that exciting, um, but I grew up on the Isle of Wight, um, and for those who don't know, it's just a tiny island off the off the south coast of England, um, and yeah, I had a great upbringing. Um, you know, I was introduced to music um, at a really young age. Uh, my dad and my mom are both really into music. My dad loves like his kind of punk, jazz, and northern soul music. My mum likes her kind of quite commercial uh, music as well. So it was like a really nice balance. Um, but yeah, no, it was, um, it was a great place to, to be born and be brought up, like have, going to school. And then after school, you just kind of in the summer go straight down the beach. Oh, sounds <laughs> so lovely. Jump, oh, yeah, jump off the pier and everything. It was really safe as well, like because it's not a big city or a big place. It was just like really nice if you'd kind of been out on a night out walking home at four in the morning you i just felt really safe which is really nice um and yeah my um my mom and dad took me to music festivals there um uh, from the age of about uh 13 i think uh there was the isle of Wight festival which was my particular favorite and the isle of Wight festival as well um and yeah that was it really it was just that whole um community of like-minded people in one place enjoying music and just absolutely letting loose it's almost like escaping reality you know um and it was great and i, f I fell in love with it completely um i was never really good at anything at school um i wasn't really um i'm not too academic in 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 a sense of like i wasn't ever brilliant at English or brilliant at maths I was just yeah just yeah just nothing really seemed to interest me um I didn't play a musical instrument so I would never did music either um but I just knew when my mum took me and dad took me to these festivals that that was something I wanted to do I wanted to work in music but um uh, back in those days I mean I'm it's not too far. I'm only 29, so it's not too long ago. But you know, a career in music wasn't necessarily, unless you were a musician, it wasn't necessarily put to you that you could be 
a tour manager, a manager, a record label. Uh, you could work for PRF or anything like that. Like it, it was just never a thing. Like probably I didn't even know what a record label was back then. Um, and then yeah, I, I I kind of I wanted to leave the Isle of Wight. I wanted to get off and and do something else. And um, for me, I chose to go to university. So I went on to study uh, music and live event management um, at Bucks New Uni. It was a very whim. It was the only thing, like, course I kind of applied for because I was still a bit like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. (laughs) (laughs) I just knew I wanted to go into music. And it was just kind of more so back in those days, it was just kind of like, you know, go to university, you need to go to university. So it's just kind of like my sister went to university, she's older, so it was kind of like my path as well. Um, so yeah, I knew I loved live events, like festivals, and I knew I loved music, so put the both together and I was like, oh, brilliant. So yeah, I went to study that and uh, I learned about well, pretty much everything, like the music business, uh, like PRS, PPL, copyright, all of that kind of stuff, how to put on events. Um, and I suddenly realized that the music industry, there is a lot to learn in the music industry and a lot of organizations and how it works and who gets paid and what gets, who gets paid from what and what a record label does and what, how it's different to a publisher and then how a tour manager is different to a manager. It was all very confusing and it's quite, it was quite overwhelming. Um, and yeah, I remember learning about PRS and PPL and MCPS and copyright for out there. I loved um, actually studying law. We did music law and that was the one kind of area I was like really super interested in. Um, anyway, when I finished, uh, when I graduated university, I, I didn't necessarily know what to do with myself. Um, I didn't want to move back to the Isle of Wight. Uh, you know, when you've kind of left your hometown and you're like, freedom and there's so much like I can do (laughs) you know um I was just like oh no I don't want to go back there I quite like living like you know in a big city um so but I didn't really want to stay in Bucks um so I had a few friends that lived in Bristol um so I moved to Bristol on a complete whim never been there before didn't know anything about it I just kind of remember driving down and looking at a flat and going, yeah, this is cool. I'm going to move here. And how old were you when that happened? Uh, I met, I said it was my, after uni, so I must have been about 24, 20, no, yeah, 20, 23, 24. Oh, I, I see. That's right, right after you graduated from uni. Yeah, right after I graduated. Because I just, I, and honestly, like being really honest, I came out of uni and I was like, I don't want to go back home. I don't want to live here. Where do I live? And I was still like really unsure of what I wanted to do. And I felt like at uni when I was with all the, you know, my kind of course mates, they were quite decided in what they wanted to do. Like one of them wanted to be a tour manager. One of them to, one of them wanted to work at a record label um you know and I just I still didn't know what I wanted to do I was really confused and yeah I just didn't know what I wanted to do so yeah I moved to Bristol um and it was amazing I loved it I love Bristol I'm really glad that I did move there um I spent like the first nine months or so working in like a kind of call center um, and then I remember this job, the job that I'm in now, outreach manager, being advertised. 
And really, it was the case of I saw the PRS logo and I was like, oh, I learned about PRS at uni. <laughs> and it was kind of something like that just looked really familiar. So I, I looked at the job application and I literally thought, I just looked at it and like half of it, like I could do. And the other half, I was like, I don't even understand what that means. Like at the time, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what an account manager is. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Like I was terrified of public speaking. And like on the job application, that was like, you know, speak at colleges and universities and go to events. I was like, oh my God, that's so daunting. And I was, to be honest, really underqualified um, for it. Like being fresh out of uni, it's it's quite daunting. Like you want to apply for jobs, but then all the job applications, like even now they want experience, but then it's like, how can you get experience when no one will give it to you because they expect a certain level? Mm-hmm. Which So it was kind of a bit like that. And then I just thought like, I'm just going to apply. I'm just going to go for it. Like, and uh, I got an interview, which was very surprising because my CV was awful. Like, <laughs> I looked back at it like five years later, and I was like, "How on earth did I get this job <laughs> with that CV?" Um, and yeah, they they offered me an interview, and uh, I remember sitting there and going like about a week before because I had to do this like presentation about PRS and ha- what I understood about it. And because the role was looking after the Southwest of England. So I was like Googling like stuff in the Southwest in Bristol and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I kind of got cold feet, really bad cold feet. And about three days before my interview, I remember emailing into HR like, this is all the stuff on that job application that I cannot do. Like, I do not have experience in this. Is there much point me coming in, you know? Um, wow, so you're very, very honest and straightforward. That's really good. Yeah, well, I just kind of was like, I don't want to waste their time. I didn't want to make a fool of myself. I think that's what sure. I was most scared of. I didn't want to look like I didn't know anything because, to be honest, I felt like I definitely didn't know anything. Mm. Um. And then I just, I got an email back and they were like, yeah, they'll come anyway. So went up and did my interview to my boss and someone else interned me at PRS. And the rest, those two hours, two and a half hours was a blur. Like it is a blur now. All I remember talking about was uh, karaoke. I don't even know how we got into the subject, but I remember asking. I don't. I yeah. I don't know how, but we. I remember like asking my boss like what his go-to karaoke song is, and like I remember just leaving the interview going, "What on earth have I just done?" (laughs) (laughs) Um. And uh, yeah, he was like, we were just talking about our go-to karaoke songs for like 20 <laughs> minutes. And I was like, I, I, I don't know what I've just done, but I think, I don't think that's gone well. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you left the interview with not the best feeling about it. No, not at all. Like, it's so difficult. Like when people ask you like uh, how interviews go, you're like, I don't actually know. Cause you're not judging yourself. Like, the other person is judging you so you're like I feel like I've done okay but I don't know if that 
what I said was what they wanted to hear. So it's really hard to like self-criticize yourself and be self-aware of how you're doing and what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and then about a couple of weeks later, it was like the best and worst day of my life because someone had crashed into my car, which was parked in a car park. So that was, I literally was like, what on earth? Oh, God. So I was like, you know, when you like stress, and I was like, oh, my God, so I was crashed into my car. Like, it wasn't too bad, but it was like, you know, it's going to be money to mm-hmm. fix kind of thing. And then 20 minutes later, my boss called and offered me the job. <laughs> <I was like, laughs> what a blessing. I was like, yeah, I was like, okay, so, so I had my bad karma and now I'm having good karma. And yeah, I remember I was like, absolutely, yeah, 100%. Um, like the call center that I worked in didn't have any windows. So it was like a tin box, you know, it, was, mm. it wasn't the best. So like, yeah, being offered the job was like really nice. And I was just very happy the next, like all the rest of that day. And the, the guy who crashed into my car was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was like, ah, don't worry about it. Take <laughs> five. I'll be out of here in six weeks. <laughs> um, and then that's been it really it was kind of um i mean that's really that's that's, honestly it's so inspirational actually to sorry to 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 interrupt it's just so inspirational to hear your story because a lot of people uh when for example um say you one of the one of the things that outreach does from 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 what i could gather is that you guys just go out there uh, at universities and you give uh, talks and presentations and, and try to spread knowledge about what PRS does for musicians and, 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 and for songwriters. And, um, and you tend, I mean, you're obviously extremely, uh, uh, you have a very deep knowledge about uh, the subject of, you know, uh, 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 music publishing and, and copyrights and, 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 and the rights of, you know, songwriters and, and how does this whole world uh, operate you know and for you it comes across in a very um wh- when you deliver when you give this information out uh you come across in uh, in the, like it, it sounds so simple the way that you put it and very easy <laughs> for people to understand which you know uh when 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 i hear you saying that like uh, a talk in uh, in public is something that would scare you and it's it definitely doesn't come across like that you know uh, not anymore <laughs> no i mean it's been, i've been in my role over six years nearly seven years now so um yeah i can still remember it was very much like being thrown in the deep end very quickly which i'm actually when at the start i was like oh my god i need someone to like you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, am I out of my depth? Oh my god! Because like, my boss was like, "Go and make contacts in the southwest," and I was like, "I don't have any contacts whatsoever." Like, I love music and I go to all these gigs in Bristol, but I don't know anyone from the industry in the southwest. Like, I've just come out of uni. Like, <laughs> I worked in a call center for nine months, so it was really daunting. But actually, doing it that way was really kind of. Um, beneficial to me like I work really well um under pressure um uh, so yeah it kind of slowly was building my confidence and then yeah I still remember doing my first ever like in-person uh presentation about PRS and it was actually on the Isle of Wight so it's on it like at my hometown Mm -hmm. um 
and my boss came down. He's like, you've got this, you can do this. And I was probably more nervous because my boss was there. Like, I, I still get it to this day. Like, if I do a talk, I could do a talk to a thousand people, like, no problem. But if anyone I knew, like my boss, my colleagues, like my partner, my friends were in the room or my parents, I would like, I'd be really, really nervous. Like I get really nervous when I know people in the room, but Mm -hmm. strangers, it's totally fine. But yeah, we did it down there. And then ever since it's just been uh, a case of just, yeah, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And like, you can just reel everything off now, uh, which is, you know, really, really nice. and I think, you know, what you were saying about saying things quite clearly, like, I remember when I first started PRS, like, obviously, I learned about it when I was at uni, but it, it's not like the most in-depth thing, you know, it's like a an introduction. Mm-hmm. And then when I kind of started my job, I had to learn everything, like copyright, the different types of copyright, publishing, uh, master rights, what happens to those rights, you know, like, if I'm a songwriter and I sign to a label, what happens to my rights, what happens to my royalties? everything like that like I had to kind of learn about and it was so complicating and now when I uh, do like talking or presenting I kind of think how how would I like to receive this information if I could if I was saying it to myself seven years ago Mm -hmm. how would I like to like receive it and it's always like just keep it really simple use you know examples uh try and use visuals if you can so i'm a very visual person so like someone could send me like an a4 document explaining everything to me and i i would read it 10 times and still not get it mm-hmm. but if you can put it like if you can sit down with me one-to-one or put it in a diagram i'm much better so, so um can you just walk me through then because uh so if you got the job and you obviously you just mentioned that you kind of had to learn basically everything you got you had the degree but um <laughs> you 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 had to learn about the ins and outs of the whole of your job pretty much because you didn't have the connections yeah. you just mentioned you didn't have the knowledge so what was the what was the process for you personally you got the job now you have all of this stuff on your plate and you need to learn how what was the process did your boss uh, uh, come to you and say here's this book here's this read this all understand about this and that it was kind of like um maybe um a very special say a pa like a master's degree out of university specializing yourself in in this field of work of music publishing and and, and rights or how did that work for you how did you learn it all a lot of it was asking lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, when I when I knew I first got the job, I just was like, you know, I was I was really lucky. Like I, I applied for my first music industry job out of coming out of uni and I got it. And that's quite rare. So I was very, very uh, happy, very blessed. And I think I really just seized the opportunity like um so I started to do like my own kind of research um there was like master classes that I was given um and then like my colleagues were like were, were so lovely you know I was always asking them questions going I'm so sorry I'm I'm so sorry I'm being a pain and they were like no 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 it's fine it's fine it's fine um but you kind of I feel like a lot of it I learned like um 
just here, there and everywhere by just speaking to people. Like my job is a lot of the time like speaking to people and like, so I'd be speaking to like a songwriter or a band and it would be like, oh, you know, this is PRS. And they'd be like, okay, here's some questions. Here's some more questions. Here's some questions. And the ones that I couldn't answer because I didn't know, I would just write them all down and then go find them out. And it was a very big process of doing that, I think, like, and going into the office, um, which I was barely in, because our offices are in London, and I lived in Bristol at the time, I live in London now, but, and having meetings and things going on, and I would just literally pick up, like, keywords, um, abbreviations, um, and then just, like, note them down, and then I'd probably just sit down with someone or Google it the best I can. I feel like what I try and do a lot of the time is find something, try and find something I don't know out, and then I'll go to, like, colleagues or anyone else uh, that I can find who might know the answer and say, this is the question that I've been asked, this is what I kind of think the answer is, um, am I right or am I kind of semi there or am I completely wrong? And then, you know, majority of the time now, it's kind of like, yeah, that's that's right. And like, or, you know, just I add a little bit more on. But yeah, I feel like it was very much like, like that, basically. It was real life questions that members and non-members and publishers and managers and record labels had um, that kind of helped me to learn. Because I think you can, I could have been given the best masterclass on PRS, but then every person's uh situation is very different mm-hmm. so you know the, you know when we do our prs talks that they're, they're quite mainly to a, a songwriter who is you know obtains all their rights but you know it was asking someone who was going to sign to a publisher when they asked me like oh what happens to my rights and actually i didn't know so it was kind of going off and finding that out for them that now it just helps me to kind of retain all that knowledge so Mm-hmm. There was a lot of help, a lot of questions, but it I think it was more like the questions from uh like our members and songwriters and and other people that kind of made me think, "Oh yeah, I haven't heard of that situation before, so I'll go find that out." And it's just been since then like stored away for 6 years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um what's uh, uh Claire, what's your um well, we've been talking, obviously, now, how did you get the job? I mean, it's honestly, I mean, just hearing you now uh, tell me all this, it's it's really interesting and and formidable in many ways because it's, it's, it's a very successful story that you actually haven't really planned for it, you know? So it's really, <laughs> really, really good to, to hear it because a lot of people, um, one of my questions uh, later will, be, will involve, like, um what's the academic path uh, uh for an individual yeah. who wants to work in in this field uh that you currently are working at but before we get into that if you could just tell us a little bit about uh what's your role and how has the work so far been on outreach yeah so uh my role is i'm an outreach manager and i look after the west of england and london as well now so i moved to london two years ago um and i look after london as well um still having quite a nice big presence in the west of england um and i do lots of different things in my role there's there's four of us um in our team so there's me there's someone up north who looks after the north someone in the east that looks after the east um and my boss kind of does like south and, and and helps out in london as well um and it was really nice because our team 
us four are the first people in our roles. Like the team didn't exist before we came into our roles. So we've each been able to really nicely put our own stamp on the role in our regions, which is really nice. Like we can be really creative um, on how we do things. You know, we're, we're creating new tools, new services, new events every year, trialing things we've never done before, which is really, really good. And it was really nice for me, like not being out, having to fill someone else's shoes as well. So that was really nice. Um, but yeah, in our role, um, we basically meet with um, PRS members, non-members and potential members and talk to them about PRS, who we are um, and how they can basically maximize their, their membership. So making the most money from their music usage. Um, we also put on a vast variety of events. Uh, they've, they've been online for the uh, quite a lot for the past 18 months, but this half of the year has been really nice. It's been able to get back out and about, but uh, those events can range from like one-to-ones with members to member workshops. Um, it can range to more like bigger events, like panel events. So I've run panels on like uh, the DIY approach to music, uh, how to get sync, how to you know place your music in film and adverts and TV. Um, and I also do a lot of work uh, with diversity and inclusion. So I partner with a lot of uh, organisations and host panels and events. Uh, to kind of increase the diversity of PRS uh, for music's membership. Um, we also run a, uh, uh, an emerging talent program in our team, uh, which is all data driven and it's kind of helping um, or kind of sourcing or, you know, the, the next high earning members. So taking people who are, you know, getting X amount of plays on radio stations or doing X amount of live shows and helping them and being their one-to-one contact so we can make sure that they're maximizing their royalties as much as possible, um, which is really, really fun. And that's across all genres, so not just commercial pop or rock, but we um, have sort of like data sources from like metal music, jazz, folk, um, as, as well. Reggae is also part of it. So, um, yeah, really broadening it. So how does um, that exactly work? So you get this data uh, uh, collected by a department on PRS, and with that information, you reach out to those artists? Is that is that kind of like the, the route? Yeah. Uh, get my dog, because he's barking. <laughs> Apologies. Hello. Be these kind of like data sources like which is kind of like radio stations and, and live music as well and then we get notified on how many times these people might be like played on that station and it kind of gives them a certain amount of points if you will um and then once they come over a certain amount of points they're probably at, at a time where they will need um, you know one-to-one help with maximizing their royalties um, we can give them advice on funding, music funding and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a really good program and it's been able to identify quite a lot of key songwriters and bands and just give them that little bit of extra needed help um, for them to kind of help in their journey 
um, in a music career. So we've got that side. Um, and we also arrange and attend a lot of events, like music industry events, like The Great Escape, Live at Leeds. Um, we work with Girls I Rate, uh, Mentor Me Sessions, Liverpool Sound City, um, all over the country. Um, and I'll meet with anyone, really. You know, I'll meet with managers, publishers, labels, um, and talk to them if they need help. Um, we do a lot of talks in sort of like education establishments like BIM, uh, DBS in Bristol, Brit School. Uh, there's um, organisations like Small Green Shoots and Point Black Music School and Raw Material that we work with to just really kind of say, you know, if, if you are a writer or if you're in a band or you're a solo artist and you are gigging and you're getting radio play, then, you know, you should be paid for it, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's kind of developed over seven years, which has been amazing and um, couldn't ask for a better team. We're all really great. We all work together really, really well. Um, you know, we, we both, we all kind of visit each other's regions and attend events in each other's regions. So yeah, it's fun and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And Sounds yeah. Sounds really it, good. Sounds really yeah. good. I mean, it's such an incredible, um, well work that you guys are doing it because uh, i'm pretty sure that you know a lot of people i mean including myself many years ago when i was a musician i mean certainly i could have done with a lot of uh, uh of that you know and it's it's i think it's still very difficult for because artists in general i think nowadays not as much because people they, they they do realize that they need to kind of like know a bit of everything you know long are past the days that you could just focus on your craft and okay i'm a guitarist and i'm gonna play guitar for the rest of my life um i just went to um to a master class a week ago and uh it was really interesting because uh, a very very um well-known musician like uh who basically played in a very legendary british band for for many many years and it was very interesting for like a, a senior artist and you talk to him and he he he, he still doesn't really know uh, how he you know made all his money and how you know um he succeeded in 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 this industry but obviously, you know, I guess back, you know, in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, I mean, people just literally didn't have a clue. And, and nowadays, artists are realizing that they do need to be on top of, of you know, uh, everything yeah. that they do in order to, to at least have a chance to, to build a career for themselves. Because it's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, being an artist nowadays, it's like, you know... Uh, it obviously depends on the genres that you are and depending on which part of the world that you're working with, uh, you know, at. And it's it's really complicated. But having this kind of like opportunity to uh, know that there is such thing as, you know, uh, what you guys are doing here, outreach. I wasn't aware of, of, of this uh, thing that you guys basically keep uh, uh, your ears peeled for, you know, metadata coming through from, you know, artists that are not perhaps not even aware that, uh, that that is happening, you know? So that's really good. It's kind of like, um, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like a bit like, um, a bit of like an A&R kind of thing as well, because, you, you know, people don't know that they are uh, uh, being, uh, that their music like is reaching uh, people like yourselves. And, and I think that's a really, really good thing. Yeah, kind of. I think it's, it's like kind of a bit like A&R, but data driven, mm -hmm. um, which is the, the key for us. We want it to be data driven mm -hmm. um, because we want to be approaching 
uh, members, potential members at the at the at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not just getting someone to join um, mm-hmm. because we like them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be kind of data driven, which is great. And yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think things are a lot different now, and I think people, uh, you know, artists and and bands and writers are definitely especially in more like kind of younger emerging artists are definitely wanting to kind of know more about the business, what happens to their copyright, what happens to their royalties, um, how they manage everything. Um, the, the DIY approach to music is, you know, you know, so much more common now than it was, you know, back in the day where it was, well, we're just going to go door to door to record labels and give our stuff in because we want a record label. You know, but not actually knowing what that actually means for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think, and there there is so much more information out there than there was before. Not just from the PRS side, but I know PPL do a lot of outreach work. I know there's people like the FAC, uh, Features Artists Coalition, and AIM as well, who you know workshops and webinars and events where you can kind of do all that and retain all your rights. And if if you retain all your rights, you retain all your royalties necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean there'll definitely come a point for songwriters and artists and bands where they might need to sign to a record label or bring a publisher on board. Um, But I'm a big believer that that should only be done when perhaps the artist or the band can't do the job anymore. So like, you know, if you're out gigging all the time and you can't submit your set list to PRS or you can't register your works, you basically can't do your PRS admin because you don't have time then that might be the perfect time to bring a publisher on board who who will do that for you. So mm-hmm. you can kind of, you know, crack on with all the creative stuff, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely becoming more common for, for people to stay DIY. Yeah, it's difficult for, for, for to, to know, basically, I mean, to have a clear understanding of where you're at um, on your career and, and, and which sort of uh, publishing agreement are you going to go for? You're going to go for an, a traditional mm-hmm. publishing agreement. You're going to go for a co-publishing deal. You're going to do a sub-publishing or administration one. I mean, it's so difficult as well to just like to understand the basics. And when you understood the basics, then you have to go into, you have to go, uh, you know, even deeper to start like to start to try and re- realize which would be the best, uh, course for your for yourself as an artist so i mean it's it, the, the information is definitely out there but um i guess um having the possibility to actually uh consult like for example when you uh ipos you know if when you go and uh, and try and register an ipo and you call the, their offices they're extremely helpful on 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 walking you through everything you know they will basically just explain to you every single bit about uh, how registering registering your 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 trademark you know which is which is incredible it's like okay so there is a way i don't need necessarily to um get a you know a a, a lawyer or solicitor someone to actually uh, get get in like in basically get me all those details laid down and and explain to me how it works you can actually reach out the the the, the society and they will themselves um walk you through and it seems that that's kind of like what prs um has been doing it for 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 some writers and artists in general which is i mean it's it's really really good really helpful <laughs> it really is yeah i absolutely uh, find that incredible um 
Claire, uh, I guess you you talk so much about those things, but obviously people listening to this podcast, they might be like, okay, but these guys are talking about collection rights and, and, and songwriting and, and publishing and all that. So uh, if you could just um, give us a, a, an overview, like uh, um, uh, on your own way about what would be like, you know, the basic three uh, uh, copyrights, like for copywriting music, and then you have copywriting lyrics, and you have music and lyrics, you know, three different copyrights, basically, you know. Um, so yeah. if you could just give us an overview about that, so, so just people can, oh, okay, now I'm, I'm kind of like... Uh, I see what these guys are talking about. Yeah, I now know what they're they're, they're chatting away about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, um, when uh, you write a piece of music, um, and that is kind of put in a kind of tangible form, so you might like uh, write a few lyrics down, you might write a few chords, or um, you know, you might write some, like a beat on your laptop or whatever. Uh, copyright is begins basically uh, so once the idea is out of your head and in something in a tangible way that's as soon as copyright begins um, and in a song so let's say for example Carl you've written a song um, and uh, that you know you've written the lyrics and you, you, you've kind of you've kind of practiced it for like three months and you go into a studio and you record it and you've got a nice shiny after six months brand new sound recording with your track on it there's two music copyrights in that track there's one in the music and the lyrics which is the publishing rights and that's what prs deal with um because we pay the songwriters and the composers and then there's one in the uh sound recording the newly generated sound recording itself and that's known as the master rights and the master rights pretty much mean anyone who pays for that recording to be recorded owns the master rights. So that could be you if you're not signed to a record label, because you are technically your own record label if you're not signed to one. Um, or it could be if you were signed to a record label, it could be your record label. Um, they also, in those master rights, uh, there's like kind of performing rights as well so anyone who makes like an audible contribution on that song whether they are singing whether they are playing the drum whether they are playing the flute wherever they're playing you know i don't know the bongos or whatever if you've you know made an audible contribution on that sound recording yeah you are owned of royalty as well and that's what ppl deal with so you've got PRS and we pay out for the, you know, the, the, the writers, so the songwriters, composers, and we pu pay out music publishers as well. And then you've got PPL, which look after the master rights, so the master right holders and um, the, the performers on the recording as well. So, Carl, if you have written that song 100% yourself, so there's no other co-writers on there, you're then, um, you know, you're playing uh, the saxophone on that recording. Um, and you own your own masters, then you're going to get your royalty from PRS for your publishing rights, so because you wrote the song. Then you'll get your royalty as a performer from PPL for performing on it. And then you'll get a royalty from PPL as a master holder because you own your masters to that recording. So those are kind of like the two copyrights, main copyrights in, in music. Um, there is also a mechanical right. Uh, which is pretty much means um, 
when a, when a piece of music, so you've, you've done your sound recording, you've signed up to PRS to get your publishing royalties, you've signed up to PPL to get your master rights, um, and then you're like, oh, this song's doing really, really well, so I'm going to press it to vinyl, and I'm going to sell it um, commercially on vinyl at, like, you know, on whatever site you choose to, like Amazon or Rough Trade or Long Whale Records or anything like that. Um, there is a, there's a, a, a right in that sound recording being reproduced onto a physical product so it's then going from a sound recording and then being copied and placed onto a physical product um and there is a royalty there so when that record is then sold a mechanical royalty is given to you because your music has been commercially sold on a physical product as well so (laughs) so i realize there's a lot there but the main thing I think is, you know, if you're sat there and you're listening right now, if you are a songwriter, let's say you're in a band and you all write music, you should all, all join PRS. If you all perform on the music that you write, then you should all join PPL. And if you're, if you don't have a record label, you are your own record label, then you should join PPL as a master rights holder as well. Um, when the time comes when you are, you know, doing quite well for yourselves and you can afford to get a, a distribution deal and get your music pressed to a physical product, um, then you should join MCPS as well. And film and TV downloads and streaming are seen as a physical product as well. So, like, uh, sync is a big thing because it pays extremely well. Um, so we normally recommend that if you are looking into getting your music like synced to an advert or a film or a TV, that you should join MCPS as well as PRS because there's two rights and two sources of income for you as well. So I hope that kind of amazing. Oh, that's excellent. (laughs) That's excellent. Absolutely great. So on on, on that note, can we just uh, move into um basically how artists get paid on their live performances and uh yeah yeah so yeah uh, um at prs you know if you've if, i'm gonna use you as an example all, all the way through this carl sure. um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so you've done prs you've got your track that you've just recorded um and now uh right covid so kind of so you're you know you can play live music again um Venues like music venues and festivals will be licensed by PRS. So we basically give licenses to our customers, which pretty much means anywhere which plays music to the public, they have to have a license to do so. So we can pay our members. Um, So those venues, like whether it's your pub round the corner, where you do an open mic night every Wednesday, or whether it's your big O2, um, or if it's something like Glastonbury, they will have a PRS license. So that basically means that when you go and perform your music there, your own original music, um, you can submit a set list to PRS and we will pay you for that live performance. And, you know, when you kind of think about these things, it's because the, the venue is benefiting from you going in and playing your original music. So, like, for example, um you know, my local pub around the corner, they have an open mic night on like every Wednesday. So on a Wednesday, it's much busier than on a Monday and Tuesday because there's live bands in there. Those live bands are going to bring their friends and family. People who like music are going to go and watch. So the, the, the pub is benefiting from them being there because the more people in there, 
the more pints or glasses of wine or <laughs> you know soft drinks that that pub is going to sell <laughs> and therefore they're benefiting from from your music so you should be uh rewarded for that um so yeah wherever you play if it's even like a a, a gig and an open mic night will get you a kind of uh, a royalty of a flat rate around nine pound uh, for for live music concert venues, um, it's a lot more. We take four point two percent of the of the box office on that night, and then distribute it to our members who play. Um, and for festivals, again, we take two point seven percent of the box office, and then we split it across the stage stages as well. Um, so you could expect to see like bigger royalties in your big venues and and your big festivals. Um, but yeah, if, if if you're kind of sat there now listening, thinking. Oh, I, I've been doing open mic nights or I've been playing live for ages like and you're not a member of PRS then you should join because you know it's money on top of what you should be paid for playing and I'm a very big believer in being paid to play as well um, so you'll get money on top of that as well and you know like 12 small gigs uh, you know in, a, in an open mic night or a bar or a pub is going to get you a hundred quid so um, make sure you do it basically <laughs> <laughs> how does uh, uh, how can venues uh, be um how can they be be hold accountable so for example say um i don't know how many live venues are just in camden for example in london and mm. say they are having gigs uh tonight taking place how 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 does how does the 4.2% uh, of each of those venues uh, get reported, say, to PRS in order for PRS to, to get the monies for that and then basically pay um, the, the artists, the performers that performed on those specific uh, venues, say, the example I'm using it as tonight, for instance. Yeah, yeah. So it completely depends on the on the venue. Like as I said, if it's a small venue, um, they will have a smaller license, um, and therefore we'll pay them that flat rate of nine pound per show. But if they're a bigger venue, um, then they will have the four point two percent, and it's in their licensing agreements that you know they are meant to report set lists and programs of what's been played, who's been played, and how long so like sometimes when you'll go into as a performer when you go into these venues they'll offer you like a bit of paper and to write down your songs and your band name and that's pretty much the prs which they'll report to us mm -hmm. um so we will take all that information do our checks in our system and stuff like that um and then we will distribute the royalties uh to the members so yeah it's all in their licensing terms that they've got to kind of send us that information um, but for smaller shows, we rely on our members to do it for us as well. So I normally say to any member, no matter what venue or festival you play or what stage or size it is, even if it's like a big one, uh, report set list to us, you know, mm -hmm. a, a, you know, as soon as you can, uh, just so you can ensure that uh, for peace of mind that you've reported that and you can kind of, um, yeah, know that you're going to get a royalty, you know, in, 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 in six to nine months or so. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's all in the licensing agreements um, that they, you know, what they have to send. And it's similar to like radio stations and TV stations, like um, they'll have a license and they have to send us through like who's been played, what's been pl played. And we, we deal with a, a silly amount of data, like trillions of lines of data a year. Um, I think it was something uh yeah in the, in the 26 wow. something yeah it is mad it wow. is absolutely mad and it's absolutely mad um 
yeah, really good. We, we do invest in new technology to help us, but we have an amazing team uh, at PRS. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big amount of data. Um, but the more data we get, the more we can pay our members, which is good. Now that you work and we're just talking, well, in, in, in this industry for, for many years and we've been talking just now about um, all this data that has been processed via computers and we can basically just upload uh, a set list online and you get that and and then you can you know basically distribute all this money can you imagine i mean i mean do, do, do you ever stop and wonder how was this business being uh held like you know uh <laughs> 40 years ago 50 years ago how did yeah. they manage to maintain all like i mean that artists and songwriters were getting paid correctly and I mean, I, I, I normally wonder about that and think, I mean, there were so many things that could go wrong and pro possibly did go wrong. And we know stories about obviously artists being ripped off and all that, but I'm not mm. even trying to get into it. I'm just like, for the people actually just trying to do the right job and pay people correctly, how problematic must have been in the past, right? Oh, God. I, I, yeah, I dread to think. I'm glad I live in an age where there is technology and really quick and fast and efficient technology because, <laughs> you know, one of my colleagues has been at PRS for like 35 years um, and he said he still remembers all the paper forms that you'd have to like send in of like set lists of like every time you want to register a new work to the database, you'd have to send in a paper form. Um, I think they were like pink or something. Um, <laughs> yeah but now it's just it's so simple now you know everything's done online um which is great and i think i think our kind of stance on things is like the, the the simpler we can make it for our members um the more likely you know that the, the quicker they do it um the easier it is you know for example i hate admin like i really do like i, I hate spreadsheets i really hate you know like I hate doing things like that like I'm very much a creative person like I love chatting as you can probably tell um <laughs> I love going to events like as soon as someone says can you do the spreadsheet I'm like no I don't want to do it <laughs> um which is really common with like artists as well like they just want to do creative stuff like rightly so mm -hmm. so you know they don't want to sit there and fill out forms and all of this kind of stuff like you know, they want to be at a festival or a gig or whatever or in the studio. So, you know, if we can make it really simple for them, the easier they'll do it and the more likely they are to keep on top of it as well because a lot of it is self-managing their admin so you can be paid. So if we can keep that really simple for them, um, then the more likely they're going to do it mm -hmm. and the more often they're going to do it and therefore the more they're going to be paid and the more often they're going to be paid as well. But, yeah, I'm glad I joined when I did and not 30 years ago, put it that way, <laughs> I would have, yeah, all those paper sheets, I probably would have had a meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> Claire, what, um, what music, uh, obviously you probably, with, you know, you, you listen to a lot of things and a lot of different mm. bands and genres, but what, um, what kicked you, what kicked, I mean, what basically brought your, like, attention into music and made you say a music fan years ago and what would you li really like to listen to and, and 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 go and see live these days oh wow that is a broad question it is um... a very broad question but yeah <laughs> i mean like try to try to tell us mainly say i don't know perhaps uh your three favorite artists at the moment or like perhaps one that really influenced you 
as uh, in, in, in like you know into bringing you into music and and perhaps a couple of artists that you have been listening more recently on the last few years i would say yeah okay so my uh that got me into it i remember was a lot of northern soul like al wilson supremes uh my dad used to listen to it all the time loved it loved it loved it loved it um and but then the other side was his i loved punk music so like um Captain Beefheart, Crass, The Fall, uh, you know, all of those kind of uh, people, Hawkwind, you know, I hate peace to listen to as well. Um, and so that kind of got me into that side. So it was really nice, actually, because it was kind of having two quite opposite genres of music um, listening to. So, you know, it wasn't just all punk or like all jazz. Like, luckily, I was, my dad has a really nice kind of eclectic taste, so I kind of got exposed to a lot of genres when I was younger, um, which has kind of helped me, like, especially in this job, like, I meet with so many different members of all genres, so, you know, whenever they're talking about their music, I'm like, oh, send me stuff, like, I want to listen to it, and it's great, like, I've been exposed to really niche genres I've never heard of before, mm -hmm. Um I mean, some of my all-time uh, favorites. Like, I, I obviously love my punk music. Um, really, really love my punk music. Um, the Cure were a big one for me when I was younger. I remember watching them at uh, Iowa Festival actually, which was really good. Um, I love Post Malone. He was one of my favorite artists. Um, Lizzo is obviously very much up there as well. Uh, there's a band called Fleet Foxes, which I'm completely obsessed with um if you haven't heard them go and listen to them but the last three albums i've literally just bought uh or who i'm listening to at the moment so the last three albums i bought was uh, a band called muncie girls uh a band called shit present uh, a band called toodles and the hectic pity um and there's a good band from leeds uh which i've just discovered uh called thanks and yeah they're playing a london show in uh in february which i've it's kind of very like uh uh punk post-punk new like new wave uh, there's a great band called deep tan that are very like that as well and they're a bunch of lovely lovely people as well um but yeah it can uh, uh, nubaya garcia is a, a massive fan of jazz and love nubaya garcia um so she's straight up there as well um really and then i love my like pop like my american like um pop punk you know like punk american punk music like it's a great band called hot mulligan that i love um you know paramore uh you know neck deep all of those kind of things i just went to go see a band called shame uh went to see public service broadcasting a couple of weeks ago um yeah it's it's very much everywhere really <laughs> But I love that. I love being exposed to all genres and, yeah, giving everything a go, really. 100%. It's so good. And, and, and there you go, folks. I mean, so many different artists that I, I certainly am going to get some <laughs> of those names that, that you just mentioned, Claire, and go and, and check it out. Because, I mean, at least 70% of those I have never heard of. So that's, you know, this is good as well because we, you end up like exchanging, well, just like now you have a conversation, you end up getting uh, exposed in a way to various names that you otherwise wouldn't. So 
Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. When you said that you, the last three records that you purchased, uh, do you yourself buy physical uh, materials still? Yeah, uh, vinyl is my go-to. So I'm currently staring at my record player now. With um, We're now having to go up a shelf because we are running out of room. It's all very <laughs> tightly packed. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm very much a, a vinyl person and uh, merch. So t-shirts, I love t-shirts. Um, I've kind of got a bit of a rule. I try and stick to a rule that I won't buy a band t-shirt unless until I go and see them live. So like I want to get the t-shirt from that gig. Um, so like, I went to see Fontaine's at DC at Ali Pali a few uh, a month ago or so also ago now, and I had got a t-shirt of theirs before because I was waiting to go to the gig to get a t-shirt there because there's something I really like being like oh I got this t-shirt from that gig in 2017 do you know what I mean mm -hmm. when they played this this and this or this album so totally. uh, yeah we've got I'm, I'm running out of room in my drawers so I've had to <laughs> store quite a lot of band t-shirts like under the bed now <laughs> I don't wear all the time so yeah uh, physical is physical products are a big a, a, a really big thing for me I like having it and I think there's something really nice about um you know on a Saturday morning getting a record sticking it on and you've got to listen to it through the whole way through you know you can't skip or you can't choose a song that you really like you know you've got to listen to it start to finish and I think if I was an artist that's how I would want my music to be listened to from start to finish you know kind Ad of thing Adele kind of just make just made the case with Spotify yeah. didn't she <laughs> which I mean I absolutely loved it because i mean i totally relate to every single thing that you just said because i am a big music collector i mean mm. i have like as well a huge vinyl collection and i mean i'm very geeky with my you know speakers <laughs> and turntable and how do oh, i clean yeah. my vac vinyls and how do i maintain my record you know collection in spots on condition and um I mean, the only problem is, I don't know if you have a specific artist or, <laughs> in my case, various artists that you collect them, which becomes problematic because then you spend a lot of money buying records and records and records from that very same artist. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then also you want all the limited edition ones. Totally. So you want, like, you know, you want the pink vinyl, the yeah. green vinyl, the blue <laughs> vinyl, the red one, and it's just like, Next should thing, I? Yeah. Next thing you know, you have like five of the same record. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I know. But it's so worth it. It, it is. is so worth it. And I'm a sucker for like uh, a vinyl that I know has like a pullout in it. So like a zine or like a magazine or mm -hmm. a poster in it. I, I love I love that. So, yeah, Absolutely. I'm a sucker for anything. It's where all my money goes, basically. <laughs> on my dog and on my records. Great stuff. Great stuff. Claire, uh, I think we're getting to a point now that uh, I'm going to start wrapping up this conversation. So I have some uh, what I call roller coaster questions for you. I mean, mm -hmm. it has been very, um, very enlightening. I loved it so far. It's been it's been really great and I'm sure everybody will enjoy. So I'm just going to have some roller coaster questions for you here now. And the first one is, do you have or follow any morning routines? of not like religiously but i will wake up 
Um, I'm a bit spoiled. I get a cup of tea brought to me in bed, which is lovely because it takes, I'm not a morning person, so it takes me a little while to wake up. <laughs> so I normally drink that. And then my dog will normally uh, wake up and jump on the bed about seven o'clock in the morning. Um, then I'll kind of get up, put the kettle back on, feed the dog, let the dog out. Um, and then I'll normally sit down with my cup of tea and I'll look through music news in the week um, and do that. And then normally go for a jog, uh, depending on what day it is. Um, I like to, I always like to do exercise early. I, I can't do exercise after work because I'm like, I'm in my joggers. I just want to get in my joggers and eat food now. So <laughs> I, I've got to get up and do it really early. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much about it. Probably like scroll on my phone for a little bit. Although as of today, I'm taking a social media break, which is quite nice. Um, oh, wow. Just to give my, I feel like I'm just wasting time looking at funny animal videos on Instagram. <laughs> so I'm like, I need to, I need to stop doing this. So I, I bought some really good books the other day. So I was like, instead of watching funny animal videos, I've got to read instead. So Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it, really. It's nothing too exciting, but I, I definitely do the same thing every morning. That's that's pretty good, actually. I mean, I, I, I love the, the bit of, you know, going for a jog early in the morning. I, mm. I totally sympathize with that. But, I mean, this was going to be one of the last questions, but since you have mentioned it, what, what books have you got? What, what are you reading at the moment? So, I'm a bit funny with books. I can't really read fiction. Um, I, I struggle with it a little bit. Um, so I recently uh, read a book called Eat Gay Travel, uh, which is about this kind of guy who's like uh, done a travel memoir, um, but it's all surrounding um, sexuality. It was really good, quite hard hitting, but really, really good. Um, and then I literally just bought last week um, a book called This Is How We Come Back Stronger, um, which is all kind of short uh, memoirs, if you like or bits from uh, women um, and it's all to do with like the, the pandemic um, and obviously in the pandemic sadly there was a lot of like increase of like domestic violence, uh, Black Lives Matter movement and it's all kind of little stories from women about that and how they've come back stronger from those kind of hardship times. Um, so and then I actually did read a fiction uh, recently which was quite um, uh, quite cool. It's quite dystopian, like world where this is going to sound really depressing, but um, it's about this dystopian world where uh, it basically you get told if you if you are going to die on a certain day, you are told like sadly you are going to die today, um, and it can be any time. And someone gives you a call and just says, "Oh, your time's up. You're, you're going to die today. We don't know how. We don't know when, but today is your last day. So you know, live your last day to the fullest." Um, and there's this like app where if uh, two people are like on their own, um, you can find your last friend, uh, which you can meet up with a complete stranger and spend uh, who's going to die on the same day that you are. And you can spend your last day together. And it was it sounds really depressing and horrible, I find but it was I've, actually really nice. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds really interesting. What's the name of the book again and the author, please? Oh, um, I think it's called uh, They Both Die at the End. I'm not sure who the author is. I can't see it on my bookshelf. I think it's like behind a card. Okay. But, um, it's called They Both Die at the End. And it was really sad, but really heartwarming. Um, 
it's a, it's a happy-ish ending. As mm-hmm. happy as it could be as, as the last day, but it's really good and it's really like quite an interesting like Very interesting. world. So yeah, three three of those books, Eat, Go, Eat, Go, Travel, This Is How We Come Back Stronger and they both die at the end. I would highly, highly recommend. Excellent. My my next question actually fits, uh, fits the bill just fine now. Uh, <laughs> do you have, are you a spiritual person at all? Do you have any any particular beliefs? No, not at all really. Um I'm very jealous of people that are. I will say that like I'm I've never been spiritual in the slightest. I I kind of I'm I when I speak to my friends or like my family, um quite jealous that they have those kind of, you know, beliefs or whether they're religious or spiritual or, or both. Um I'm just very much a kind of when it's my time or whatever I, it's going to be my, it's 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 going to be fine so i'm just going to live every day as best as i can and just try and be the nicest and best version of myself that i can be i think i think i'm just a very good very big believer in being genuinely kind um although my friends do send me through all the time like i'm a sagittarius and they always send me through like memes of, of being a Sagittarius and I'm like that is scarily like me like that is I am very stubborn I'm quite fiery and I'm like that is that is very like me but yeah not necessarily just I just take it as it comes really (laughs) I understand you well because I'm a Sagittarius too (laughs) so so yeah when's your birthday Uh, it was actually this past Friday I'm just coming (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah I'm just coming I'm just coming out of a a big weekend of celebrations yeah so (laughs) you deserve it you deserve it well happy birthday for last Friday thank you I appreciate that thank you so much um so one of my last questions would be what's your view about money oh um i mean it's lovely everyone wants money (laughs) don't they like i mean let's all we can all say like oh money doesn't bring happiness but i'm like if i if i had enough money to buy ten thousand dogs and go on holiday all the time i would 100 do it like i would 100 do it um I'm very careful with my money. I'm very much like live within my means. Um, and I mean, there are things that I will kind of, I spoil my dog rotten who is currently sat in his teepee. Um, you know, it's just a nightmare, but I think, yeah, it's just like, it's, it's, yeah, I don't think it's everything. It's a nice thing to have. Like I try to spend my money on, things that I um really really enjoy like save my money for so like for example like I rarely get takeaways um however once a quarter I will go out for a very nice meal you know an expensive mm-hmm. meal there's something that I haven't eaten before or something like that um I have certain things that I will spend a lot of money on like my dog or food or Doc Martens because I love Doc Martens so mm-hmm. they're up on my brand but um yeah i i don't think it brings happiness um i'm very careful with it i don't think it's everything uh i know people who earn a lot of money um but don't enjoy what they do do you know what i mean like they're doing it and i'm very believer of i need to enjoy my job and then the money comes kind of like second you know i don't want to go and 
uh, work in a job that I know I'm going to hate just for an extra 30, 40 grand. I wouldn't mm-hmm. do that. It's not in my, it's not in my nature to do that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Money. Absolutely. It's, uh... <laughs> I do want 10,000 dogs though. I'd love 10,000 dogs. <laughs> a private island with just me and loads of dogs. It would be you'd, great. You'd need a lot of money in order to, well, you would need a lot of money to buy a lot of land in order That's to true. have all these yeah, dogs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What do you do to unwind? What's the perfect lazy day on your books? So I am, I'm a bit of a get up and goer, so I still have to do something on a lazy day. Like I'd have to go and exercise. Like I, I like in the morning, I like to do my exercise routine or like walk my dog, for example. My perfect day would probably be waking up, having a cup of tea, having my favorite breakfast. Um, I would Which probably... Is? So I love eggs royale, like muffin, egg, smoked salmon, and holiday sauce. So it's like my mm. ultimate go-to, nice. like very indulgent. Um, take my dog on a walk, probably come back, uh, be in my joggers. I pro- I'm a massive gamer, so I'd probably play a game um, on like my Nintendo Switch. And then I would probably cook a really extravagant meal. So like one of my favorite things to do is go to like markets, like borough market and stuff like that and go and get ingredients that I've never necessarily cooked with before mm. um, and try lots of different cuisines. And then I'd probably come back, make a really, really nice dinner. I'd probably pop open a bottle of red wine and yeah, just sit, watch something on TV, listen to some music. Um, yeah. That's probably my my perfect day. I think it cuddles with lovely. my dog sounds really good. Stuff. Yeah, I think so. Like, quality, mm. absolute quality. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, quality. I can't thank you enough for taking the time, Claire. I mean, it's been it's been lovely hearing about uh, your life, about your experience. Um, I am one hundred percent sure that this is going to be very um influential uh, in a very positive way to a many to many people list who will be listening to this and uh thank you so much for sharing your experience and uh keep doing your good work and uh yeah good luck with everything that you have ahead of you in your career and uh keep being yourself you're smashing it oh thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure i really like interviews like this where i just it's not really an interview and I'm just chatting. <laughs> so, yeah, no, thank you so much. And thank you for the kind words and asking me to be on it. It's, seriously, it's been, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks, Claire. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation, this podcast, as much as I did doing it. So if that's the case, please do follow on Instagram at rollercoaster carl myself at carl casagrande on twitter same thing facebook same thing uh do subscribe do subscribe on itunes subscribe on spotify that's very very much appreciated thank you and have a great great day cheers bye bye